Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. All right. Are you ready to study the scriptures? Okay, get your Bibles out. You can turn to Luke chapter 24. If you use your handheld device, turn your Bible on and uh, go, to, go to Luke chapter 24. It's in the New Testament, just a few books to the right uh, of, the, of the New Testament, a break between the old and new. And so let's pray over our message this morning. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your goodness and grace. We ask for your word to come alive in us and to us, and, and then we ask for your grace to just communicate what we need. We pray that you would give us understanding that you are the one who empowers us to obey and to follow you. Speak now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we've been on this series called At the Table, and uh, it's been an incredible series where we've really been discussing the different times that Jesus was at a table in his life and ministry and what happened at the table. And the table is a significant place that Jesus chose to do ministry. And what happened over and over again so often is there was this transformation. There was this, um, there was this mercy and truth that were revealed at a table. There was this revelation at a table, and, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And in fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, it happens so often. Check this out, 94 references in the Gospel of Matthew to Jesus and food. In the book of Luke, 50 references to Jesus and food. In fact, the New Testament scholar, Robert Karras, he writes this, he says, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. He's, I, I like this Jesus. The, the problem is, the problem for us is we, you know, we do a lot of meals, but you, in Jesus' day, you had to walk to everything. So there was exercise going on, and we just have to make sure we're exercising as we go back and forth to these meals. But Luke gives us the point, the, the, the writer Luke of his gospel, Dr. Luke, he gives us the point of what Jesus was doing in the story of Zacchaeus the tax collector who Jesus invited himself <laughs> to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. But in that story, Luke 19, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Now this phrase, the Son of Man, it happens twice in the story of Luke. Twice. One is here in chapter 19, and I, I believe it's, it's referencing something it was Jesus' mission that we're talking about. Seeking and saving was Jesus' mission. But then you come to Luke 7, 34, which is a little earlier in the book, and here's what Luke calls, the, he says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Everybody say eating and drinking. Eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, or a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was actually, um, he, he was criticized for doing this. They couldn't conceive in Jesus' day. The religious leaders couldn't conceive of Jesus having dinner, having lunch, having 
a moment where he sat at the table with an untouchable or what was known as an untouchable or someone who was an outcast in society. But I want you to see that eating and drinking was Jesus' methodology. If seeking and saving was his mission, eating and drinking was his method. And we got to see that. In other words, that's how he did it. Jesus lived in a culture where there was a lot of hostility among the classes of people and the social economic levels of his day. People were at arm's length towards him and his way of introducing the kingdom of God. Jesus ate <laughs> with all the wrong people. But see, here's what you got to get. For Jesus, meals were not a boundary marker. Meals were not a place where we keep people out, but a way to invite people in. Meals were a sign of God's great welcome into, a, into the kingdom of God. He, he opened up the kingdom to people's lives. And so the question for us today is, how did Jesus walk people into the kingdom? How did he welcome people into the kingdom? <laughs> One meal at a time. One meal at a time. If you missed any of the podcasts uh, or any of the messages, you can, you can go back to onechapel.com and check it out on those podcasts. But today we're going to kind of flip the script. We're going to change sort of our perspective and we're going to look at yet another angle on how Jesus met two of his followers at the table. And there's a twist in this story. In fact, they didn't even recognize who he was and it's interesting because Jesus seems to have come to this table in a very different way here in Luke 24. And he came for a very unique purpose with these two disciples after his resurrection. And this was after Jesus is risen from the dead and after he had received his glorified body. A body like you and I will receive after we die. According to the scriptures, Jesus has been raised from the dead and now he's, he's going around and revealing himself to his disciples. Let's look at this in Luke 24, chapter, thir- or chapter 24, verse 13. It says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. See, this is Jesus showing up out of nowhere in his new body. He, he could just show up and, and somehow they were kept from recognizing him. Verse 17 says, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? In other words, have you been living under a rock? So I want you to get the picture. He kind of, they're walking to Emmaus. They're on a kind of a long journey. And Jesus appears kind of uh, on, the, on the road. And he kind of wa- starts walking with him. He's just walking. He's like, what are you guys talking about? And they start telling him. He's like, what do you? And, they, and this is what the Bible says. They're walking along. They, they stop. They look at him. Are you from out of town? How come you don't understand what's been happening? Haven't you heard about this? 
Don't you watch the news? Verse 19. I love Jesus' response. What things? What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped. If you have a pen with you, underline that little line right there. We had hoped. Highlight it in your handheld device. Here's the thing. They were out of hope. They were discouraged. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. In other words, they were... these. Two disciples were bewildered. The the new reality of of the resurrection had not revealed itself to any of the disciples. And verse 25 says, He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. I was reading different translations of this. One translation says, How thick headed you are. Jesus was hard on him. Verse 26, he says, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now watch this, verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. This is the same idea that Pastor Russ from Lake Travis spoke on last week. Verse 31, Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. (laughs) What is this? Verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? That's code for, we kind of knew. Didn't we kind of know? Did you kind of know? I kind of knew. Yeah, I kind of felt something. There was something really going on here. Verse 33, they got up. And returned at once to Jerusalem. Hey, they just, they just walked seven miles. In fact, some Bible scholars believe that it's, it's 17 miles in the way it's written. It could be as high as 17 miles that they just walked. And here they are. They have dinner with Jesus. They are so excited. They are so overwhelmed by this sudden revelation. They get up and they go back seven or maybe 17 miles to Jerusalem. And there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now I want you to see a couple of things here. 
couple of things. I want you to notice Jesus is already resurrected, but they did not know it. That's your first fill in the blank. They, or no, it's not your first one. It's the first one uh, in the second, uh, in the second, pass, second portion. Oh. It's a fill in the blank. You can find it on your message notes. But I, wa- I want you to see why this is significant. Here is the hope of Israel and the hope of the world walking with them on this long and dusty road. But they don't know that it's Him. God is already working on their behalf, but they can't see it yet. God's already working behind the scenes. They just haven't pictured it. They haven't seen it. It hasn't been revealed to them yet. Now, why is that so significant? I think this happens to us a lot. The miracle is already in process, but we don't see it yet. We're still living in the past. We still are living by what we can see instead of living by faith. God's already working, but we, we're stuck. We're stuck in what we know. We're stuck with what we've seen instead of believing. And then the second thing that I want you to see in this story is the revelation of the new reality. The revelation of this new reality of Jesus comes not in a grand display of some miracle, not some kind of uh, uh, scene in the sky, not some kind of huge thing that all these people can see, but at a, the intimacy of a table over broken bread. I want you to see that Jesus reveals something at the table here because the table is a sacred place. It's a place where people gather. Jesus takes bread and he breaks it. He blesses it and he gives it to them. Not just to reveal himself to these two disciples, but I think he does it on purpose for the story to be recorded because there's a significance about people gathering and eating and how Jesus can be revealed at that table. As we think about it, this table, the bread and the wine, it represents the Eucharist, the Holy Communion, the table of the Lord. And I think that's a meaningful idea that that we, you and me, are the body of Christ. And when we come to the table, we see a picture of who we are, that we are blessed. We are broken. And we've been given to the world. I think the table reminds us of that. I want to draw your attention to this particular point in the story because in verse 25, if you go there, verse 25 and 26, Jesus says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures. I want to ask you a question. Why were the disciples so slow to believe? Why were they so thick-headed? 
I want to suggest to you that it's because they were in the middle of it. They were in the middle of something so disappointing, so discouraging, so tragic that they had put all their hope in Jesus as they followed him. They had watched him hanging on this cross, his body bleeding and bloodied, broken. They had watched the torture of his beating, of his flogging. They had watched it all come crashing down around them. I want to suggest to you that's how we feel sometimes. That's how you and I experience life. Sometimes it feels like the whole world is crashing down around us. The struggle that we're facing, the circumstances around us. And Jesus says, how slow you are to believe. That's why Jesus spends the next several miles after this verse walking and talking about the scriptures because he's explaining and encouraging them to believe what the scriptures say about himself. And I think this is a big deal. This is why you and I need to get the scriptures inside of us. I don't know if you've ever heard about this idea, but there's an idea where people read the daily Bible reading for the one-year Bible. Have you ever heard of this? It's like, it's like this thing I believe in because I, when you read the scriptures every day, you may not understand everything about the scriptures that you read that day, but you're going to get the ideas in you a little bit at a time. It doesn't really work if you go months and months without the scripture and then try to, during some crisis in your life, oh God, again, you try to read the Bible for some answer. That doesn't work. That's like some kind of weird eating disorder of the, of the scriptures. You're trying to binge on the scripture instead of getting it into you a little bit every day. We use the Bible, it's called Bible in One Year 2019. Bible in One Year 2019. And it is, it is uh, the Bible reading of Nikki Gumbel who, who gives a little devotion and weaves the scriptures together. And, uh, and, and I want you guys to embrace that. At one chapel, I want us to embrace this practice of getting the scriptures into us because when the moment comes, when the struggle is real, when you're in the midst of it and feeling overwhelmed, you need something to draw on. You need something to draw on. This is, this is so important, but not only does Jesus want them to believe, right? He wants them to believe in him, but he helps them believe. You're not doing this alone. This isn't happening by yourself. This is not all up to you. Jesus is interested in helping you. He's interested in opening your eyes. He wants to help them believe. Now, now listen, listen. How does Jesus help these two guys believe? Well, he shows up, right? And he's kept himself hidden. Why is, wouldn't it be easier if he just like showed up and said, hey, here I am, whoa, would that have helped them believe better? I don't think so. I think he keeps himself hidden so he can encourage their faith. He stays hidden because he wants them to believe what God has said before it's revealed. 
Do you get that? That's the same as you and me. This is what Jesus always wants for us, and this is the point of following Jesus, to believe in him, to have faith in him, even when it's difficult. Romans 10, 17 says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Later on in the week, when Jesus reveals himself to Thomas, remember, doubting Thomas, right? John records it in chapter 20, verse 29. He says, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says, for we live by faith and not by sight. Now listen, all of us have to make a choice at pivotal moments in our lives. All of us have a, a moment when really bad things have happened, where the struggle is real, the doubt and unbelief are so easy to gravitate towards. It's so easy to, to go that direction. When Zach and Misty were in the early stages of this baby coming, and they were measuring its little head inside the womb. And, and there, was, there was a season, several weeks, where the doctors were saying something's wrong with her. The measurements aren't right. Something's wrong with her head in proportion to her body. She's not growing fast enough. There were several weeks. In fact, they said, you need to go meet with a geneticist because something really difficult is probably ahead for you. I promise you, even as a, as a father watching them go through it, even as a, 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 a dad and a, and a potential grandfather, I, it was hard to pray, to believe, to not gravitate to worry and anxiety about what was ahead. You know what that's like. You've experienced it. I think this story is about Jesus helping these two disciples grab a hold of their faith, what they actually believe. And that's Jesus' statement is so profound, how foolish you are and how slow to believe. And that sets up the pivot point for the story in verse 28. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. Now, why do you think that Jesus continued on as if he were going farther? Why does he like, okay, well, it's great talking to you dudes. See you later. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he act as if he's going on further? It was a test. It was a choice. He was offering a choice. He's giving them a choice, a moment where they could choose. Choose to welcome him. He's giving them a choice to believe. He's giving them a chance to lean into what they've already been talking about. For the last several miles, he wanted them to choose to feed their suspicions, their holy suspicions of faith. 
He wanted them to choose faith. Because they could have easily said, all right, well, it's been nice talking to you. See you later. And they would have missed the revelation. I think all of us have a moment where we choose to lean into what God is saying to us, to lean into our faith, to lean in to believe, to lean in in a moment or to lean out. This story is really about choice. The decision to invite Jesus to dinner was the key to the reveal. The decision to invite Jesus was this idea. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't just reveal himself without the invitation. Jesus doesn't reveal himself until, everybody say until, until they give him an invitation. Why is this so important? Why is this such a big deal? Here's why. Because the gospel is permission-based. That's in your notes. The gospel is permission-based. The gospel, the good news of Jesus doesn't come into your life without an invitation, without a choice, without a decision. you got to choose him. It only happens by permission. God will never force himself on you. Some of you are like, what? Doesn't God have, like control everything? Actually, you can choose to resist him. That's why your will is one of the most powerful forces in all the universe. Second only to God's sovereignty and his goodness. Right? Because he'll keep chasing you down. He'll keep giving you opportunities. He'll keep intersecting with your life, often in a hidden way. You don't know it's him, but it's him, and he's intersecting with your life. But you've got to choose to lean in. You've got to choose to lean towards him. Now, here's what I want you to see before we go. Have you ever had someone speak truth to you, and it's hard to hear, but you know it's right? That's a choice. The question is, will you invite them, that person, to your table? Will you invite that kind of person to speak into your life to your table? Will you invite a person into your life who challenges you, who corrects you? Listen, we can all invite the lonely to the table. That's easy. We can all invite the outcasts. In some ways, that's so much easier. Inviting the stranger, the the person, the prisoner, the person who's on the outside, on the margins, and we should invite them to our table. That's what part of this series is about. But in a way, that puts us in the driver's seat all the time. We're the ones who's reaching out, which is good. But the question I want you to wrestle with today is, will you invite someone into your life, someone to your table who will push you, who will challenge you, who will call you out, who will tell you the truth? We don't do this very well in our culture anymore. We struggle. We struggle to let people speak into our life in a strong way. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 is a cornerstone scripture for one chapel. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow 
to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Look, we need people in our lives motivated, who are motivated by love to tell us the truth. You and I need people motivated by love to tell us the truth. You see, if you just, there's some people, they just love the truth and they leave the love behind. Right? Like, like you know those kind of people? Well, I just say it like it is, man. No, that means you're rude. That means you're annoying. The truth by itself is not enough. Truth without love is some kind of tyranny, legalism, meanness. Other people are on the other side of the question, uh, equation. They're like, man, I just love you. I just, just love you no matter what. Love and they never get around to telling the truth. There's something that really happens that's bad when there's love but no truth. In fact, I would argue it's not real love if there isn't any truth. You're not a good friend. You don't really love them if you're unwilling to talk about the truth in their lives. Why don't we, why don't we ask people about what is true? Listen, and, and, and I promise you, the hard work, all the hard work is building an environment and an atmosphere and a relationship where love is happening. That's really the goal of the One Chapel Kyle community. Build an environment of love so that when you tell the truth, people don't doubt your motives. You've got to be convinced that they love you, and that's why they're telling you the truth. But we resist this idea of truth to us. Why don't, others, why don't we ask others to tell us the truth? Well, number one is ignorance. We, it doesn't occur to us. We're just going along our merry way, too busy, too myopic, consumed with what we're doing. We're just kind of living in some kind of blissful ignorance, fixated on what we're interested in. The second reason is arrogance. Some people are just arrogant. They're full of themselves. Here's the problem. <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you don't think you're arrogant, you might be. <laughs> we think we're smarter than everybody else. We tend to believe what, that we have to figure, I just got to figure this out on my own, man. No, that's, that's being full of yourself. That we're the only ones who can fix it. No, there, is, there are other people who can help you, who can help you see your flaws and your, the weaknesses. Other, peoples are, other people are strong where you're weak and they can come in and help you. Don't be arrogant, be humble. Number three, we, we, we gravitate towards being afraid. Fearfulness, fearfulness. We're afraid people will think less of us if they really know what's going on, if they know the bad stuff. Our fears will be rejected, will be embarrassed, will be ashamed because we somehow know that we should know better. And so we don't tell about the secret that's killing us. Number four is foolishness. We, we just won't shut up and listen. <laughs> Too enamored by our own opinions. We're not thoughtful, we're not humble. Or open to others for their input. I, I love this statement I've heard over the years about this subject. Everyone learns from experience, <laughs> but it doesn't have to be your experience. 
Everybody learns by experience, but it doesn't have to be your experience. You can learn from others' experience. The smart people capitalize on those who will push them. It may hurt initially. This is what Je- who Jesus is. He says, you're thick-headed. You're slow to believe. Let me explain to you how it should work. And he walks with them for several miles, and then he sits down at a table, and he reveals who he is. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Be careful of the person who always says all the best things about you. So the question becomes, are you surrounding yourself with people who will help you become better? That's the question for today. Are you willing to invite people to your table who have kind of told you the hard truth and they're willing to help you wrestle? Are are you willing to invite Jesus himself? Now, listen, of course, of course, you'll say the right things if you know it's Jesus who's asking you the question. Jesus hides himself. Of course it's you. You, can, you. you might know the Sunday school answer, but Jesus was testing their character by hiding himself. And Jesus, I think, in our lives is hiding in plain sight all the time. Every time you sit down at a table with people, I promise you, Jesus is the unseen guest at that table. He's ready to reveal himself. He's waiting. The question is, will we lean in? Will we open up? Will we allow him? I think about this. Very often the pastor is the last one (laughs) to hear about the terrible things that have been going on in your life. The crisis has already erupted. It's, it's It's revealed itself and then you call the pastor. It's a mess it's a last-ditch effort because this has been going on a long time and suddenly, suddenly it occurs to you, well, I guess I better call the pastor. And then you expect him or her to clean it up for you. <laughs> but it's a total mess because you were unwilling to invite people in along the way. You waited a really long time to allow people in, anyone in. It doesn't have to be your pastor. It can be someone who's walking on this journey with you after so much damage and hurt. Sometimes it's hard to fix it, to clean it up. Is God able? Absolutely, he is able. But I want to challenge you to invite people to the table because none of us have to be defined by our greatest weakness. Someone near you has the strength that you need. Paul said it really well in Colossians 1, 28 through 29. He says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want us to pray. I want us to come to the Lord's table here. And I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you in our last few moments together. Right where you are, as I've been speaking, my guess is that the Lord has has spoken to you about the way your life is, what's been happening to you, how things are unfolding. And I want you to come to him today and I want you to let him in. I want you to invite him. I, I, want you to, I want you to lean into what he's saying to you. Don't lean out.
Don't go by this moment without leaning in. The ushers are ready to pass the uh, elements to you. And we're going to worship here for a moment as they pass. And I, I want you to understand that at one chapel, we practice what's called open communion, which means it's not about a relationship with the church. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And so if you want to have a relationship with Jesus, join us. If you're uncomfortable for any reason, just let the, the elements go by. You don't have to take them. But if you're willing, if you want to lean in, I want you to receive. And so they're going to pass here in a moment after I pray, and, and then we're going to worship for a moment, and I want you to hold them. I want you to hold them, and we'll take them all together right at the end, okay? So, Father, we prepare our hearts for you to speak to us now. We prepare our minds to embrace what you're teaching us and what you're telling us. Would you lead us? Would you reveal yourself to us in this moment at your table with the bread representing your broken body so that we could be healed, with the cup representing your blood for the forgiveness of sins? Every failure, every foolish act, you're here with your forgiveness. We, we look to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. See you next time.